Welcome to the BJU Press Teacher Edition Podcast, where Christian educators are encouraged and inspired as we bring you interviews, practical ideas, strategies, and answer your questions about teaching in today's culture. And here's your host, Jenny Copeland. Welcome back, everyone. Parent-teacher conferences are on the horizon, so we're going to talk about that very popular topic today. I don't know about you, but I can never get enough advice, insights, and new ideas for when it comes to meeting with and communicating with parents. So thank you for making the Teacher Edition podcast a part of your day. As we get started, let me remind you again to take a minute to subscribe to the podcast. If you have friends who aren't listening in, please share this podcast with them as well. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We are Teacher Edition Podcast on Facebook, and you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Teacher Edition Pod. We would love it if you would take a minute to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And lastly, we are looking for your questions. So I want to invite you to go to our website, TeacherEditionPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to our emails. You can also submit your questions. It is a simple click of a button and you can record your question. And for all of our listeners, be sure to listen all the way to the end of each episode, because if we have a question to share, we will do that at the end of the episode and you won't want to miss out on that. So let's jump into parent-teacher conferences. Dr. Jason Harrison is joining us today as we unpack this topic. Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me on. So Jason is currently the head of school at Florida Christian School in Miami. He and his wife have three sons, in addition to three master's degrees and then a doctorate degree in technology administration. Jason is an ordained pastor and has over two decades of experience in technology leadership, church leadership, and educational leadership. So Jason, I'm really looking forward to tapping into your expertise and your experience. To start us off, I think it's safe to say that, unfortunately, parent-teacher conferences are not as positively anticipated as they could be, or they should be. For some, there is dread. There is uncertainty. There are assumptions, such as the assumption that a negative report is coming, or maybe on the teacher side, that the parents are only coming in with complaints. We often forget some of those basics, like even the fact that we are on the same team, and really, we are working together for the good of the student. But even beyond that, we overlook some of just the basics of communication. So Jason, if you don't mind, I'd love to start there. What insights could you share just as communication basics as we get started today? Sure. I think those are great concepts to look at. Um, I do agree that a lot of people dread parent-teacher conferences and normally because they feel like a conflict might arise. So there's an old saying about a compliment sandwich, and that's one of the things that we instruct our educators to do when they're meeting with parents. You know, you start off with something very positive about the student, then you kind of get to the meat of the problem and you close the meeting out with something very positive. And the idea is really to redirect the parent to the fact that whether we're talking about a grade or even a behavioral issue, the goal is to make the student better. And I think the problem that we have is coming into the meeting uh, and this is a cultural thing, too many people assign like a letter grade or even if there's a negative comment about behavior as a reflection of like the who, who the child is as a whole. When the reality of it is all those things are just indicators on places that we needed to put a little more work, a little more improvement. And that's the whole point in education is to bring a child from point A to point B. And when we try to remind the parents, you know, if you see a C or even a D, this doesn't reflect on who your child is as a, you know, something 
or someone that was created by God, this is an area that we want to put some work in. And the whole point in being with this teacher is they have the skills and the qualifications and the knowledge and the gifting from God to make them be able to go from point A to point B. So in the conferences, we, we again, we want to compliment the child, remind them of all the areas that are great, and then show the parent, here's a situation that we want to walk hand in hand. We're on the same team. And the goal is to better their child. If we can help the parents to see that, then we, we've accomplished what we wanted to out of the parent-teacher conference. And hopefully when we close it out with kind of that compliment to, you know, how much we love their child, how much potential we see, um, we're thankful that God's brought them to our school. Typically, the parent walks away with an attitude of, I do want to be a part of this relationship and making my child better. And the communication starts really at that point when we see we're all moving towards the same goal or objective. Yeah, that perspective is so important. And you're right on. I love that. So over the past few years, the look of parent-teacher conferences has changed. So COVID forced us to communicate and conference in a whole new way. And communicating and having conferences are vital. And definitely through that time, we're so thankful for technology that allowed us to still connect. But now we're past that. So now we have a new dilemma. Do we require them to come into the building in order to meet with us? Or can we offer that virtual option? Or do we just do virtual? There there's definitely pros and cons to both. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think when you look at technology as a whole now, I mean, I don't know how it is everywhere else, but even with our teachers currently down here in Miami, our, our teachers text, we have all kinds of apps that we use um, to communicate with the parents. We have our student information system, we have email, we have social media. And so technology is a part of our communication process. So what COVID did is really opens up to the fact that, yes, you can even have a conference now via some form of whether you're using Zoom or Teams or uh, whichever form you use to communicate online. And there are some pros. Um, parents are very busy. And one of the things we encourage our teachers to do is if they're having trouble scheduling a, a conference with a parent, well, then let's drop down to that resource of using an online resource to kind of, you know, meet their convenience, of whether they want to meet at lunch or maybe they're out of town. So we do use it as an alternate, but we love to get the parent in. And one of the things that we remind the parent of when they physically come on campus, it's not just about the conference. Um, they tend to meet several people. They meet people in the front office. They might be an administrator. Uh, they get to physically see the classroom environment. That helps them understand sometimes maybe why their child might struggle or maybe why they might excel when they walk into a classroom. If the parent sees a lot of, oh, wow, there's a lot of stuff on the walls, this might be distracting or the shape or layout of the room. But we also socially interact with people different online than we do in person. And again, if you go all the way back to text messaging, someone sitting behind a keyboard texting or emailing might be a little more harsh than they would be to someone in person. Especially when you have another you know, Christian family coming in to meet with a Christian teacher, I, I think that Holy Spirit discernment starts to come out and it's kinder, the words are softer. So we do like the in-person much better. We want them to, to see the classroom, feel the environment, experience a little piece of what the child experiences. And we want our words to be softer, their words to be softer, because we're trying to build some type of fellowship with the parents. We're not just there to be their teachers. We're there to fellowship and, and grow You know, as educators. We're there to grow with parents, but we're also there to grow in discipleship as well. So we've kind of looked at the virtual option as an alternative. If we can't get them in, scheduling is difficult. We see that as an option. And one of the things we, we train our teachers specifically, look, don't take away the basics that you do in a regular conference. If it's a virtual conference, start it off with prayer, just like you would if it's a physical conference. 
use the compliment sandwich. Um, put things on your screen and share with them so they can see the visuals and statistical data that you want to show them. And then always at the end of the virtual conference, one of the ways we close it out is we want to invite them to some kind of on-campus event. Hey, I know you couldn't get in here today, but you know, coming up, we have Thanksgiving extravaganza or a Christmas tree lighting or this or that, because again, we want to build that physical relationship as well. So we see it as an alternative. I, I do think COVID opened our eyes to how this is helpful, but we never want to get away from, I mean, just like the Bible tells us, we don't want to neglect the gathering together of believers. So we want to make sure we have that physical interaction as much as possible. Excellent. I appreciate your insights on that. I love the balance, too, that you're presenting. We just have to look at the situation. And, you know, connecting with parents is vital. And if that means doing it unconventionally or in a way we've not usually done it, it's better than not communicating. So I really appreciate your balance on that. You gave some great ideas. I love inviting them to something. If you're going to meet virtually, especially, then inviting them to come to something else another time. It is so important for parents to be in the building. And COVID did make that a little tricky in that we found ways that we can avoid going places and still get things done. And it's important to still encourage them, come be in the building and, you know, see what your child is doing and be a part of that. So I love that. But, you know, whether we are in person or virtual or really even in email, at the heart is the need for effective and God-honoring communication. And it really goes back to that. So I would love it if you would take a few minutes and share with us some essential strategies for teachers as they communicate with parents. Sure. So we kind of have a little eight-step training that we do with them. And we, we have regular in-services and parent conferences. One that we include is one of our regular trainings every year as a refresher and a reminder. And some of the key things that we talk about first is to create a sense of urgency. We don't want to put off a parent-teacher conference. Um, sometimes it's almost like a last resort. We do it the last week of a marking period or when things are really bad. And the struggle for the parent is by the time they've really been truly informed, it's very difficult to turn around whatever problem that may exist. So we want to create a sense of urgency. We try to teach our, our teachers to be proactive, look ahead and anticipate where a problem might occur and, and communicate with the parents so that they're aware when they still have time to correct it. The other part is we want to pull everyone in the meeting possible. It's a balance not to waste people's time, but at the same time, if someone is heavily involved, we want them all in the same room. We don't want to get into a he said, she said thing. We want to bring the student in when possible. If there are any supporting teachers and extracurriculars or an aide or someone else, a tutor even, an interventionist, we want to bring all of those in because we want the full perspective. And sometimes even something as simple as bringing a PE teacher. If some, a student's having math or social studies issues, having a PE teacher either to bring some good or say, no, I kind of see some of those similarities everywhere. Then we can start to look at, is it an overall concept or is it a you know, content concept? We also want to develop some kind of change, vision, mission. We don't want to just bring them in and say, here are the problems. We need you guys to go home and work on it. Uh, a frustration, we, we do give a lot of surveys to our parents. And one of the frustrations they expressed was we meet, but we don't feel like we have anything to walk away with to work on and we're not the experts. So our plan is, okay, let's give them a three-step simple plan. Here are three things we want you to work on between now and our next meeting. And here is the way we can help you do that. So we give them something specific to work on. And then communicate basically for understanding. The whole idea is not to, oh, your child is bad or they're doing something wrong. Please understand where we want to provide them help, where we can provide them help, but we also want your help. We want you to be involved. We want you to reinforce it at home. We want you to be educated about it. And then we start to empower everyone to act. At the end of the meeting, the concept is, here's the task that we want each person to work on. 
and we make sure to assign something to everyone, even the teachers that are in the room, so that we feel like we're a team. We feel like everybody's involved in this and everybody owns some form of responsibility for making this success occur. And then, you know, we talked about the compliment sandwich. We close it out. We celebrate short-term wins. If we have some coming in or even maybe, let's say, after the meeting, we follow up, hey, we saw Johnny doing these great things just the last couple of days. And we really try to get the parents motivated. When they see some success, they want more success. So we give them those little pieces. And we don't let up with the updates. We keep talking to them, keep communicating with them. And overall, we're trying to create this new culture of we're working together. Yes, there may be an area of deficit, but if we can capture this area of deficit, and one of the things we try to tell our parents, look, colleges don't look at anything till roughly high school. Everything else is prep, foundation, and building to get them ready. You could have a straight A student in elementary and middle school, but if those are inflated grades and nobody's communicating and they're hiding where a child needs to improve, when they get to high school, it's all going to come out. Or you could have a child that maybe has C's, maybe C's and D's in elementary. And as they move up, maybe they get C's and B's. And by middle school, they're, they're a B student and getting some A's. And then in high school, they, they really covered all their deficits. And now they're an A, A, B student. That's when it really starts to matter. So we, we try to also give them a long-term perspective, not just, hey, my kid's in kindergarten. They got straight A's in this one report card. We're good for life, right? Okay, let's, let's look long-term and see this is a journey that we're going to take together for a very long period of time. Those are such important strategies and reminders. So, you know, we get into parent-teacher conferences and sometimes we just forget some of those basics and we need to go back to those. So those were excellent. I wanted to actually jump back to the first one that you mentioned, the create a sense of urgency. I think it's fair to say that often as educators, we try to solve issues in the classroom. The typical personality of a teacher is a problem solver, right, by nature, but maybe sometimes we hope that the problem isn't even there. Like maybe if we give it some time, it won't show up anymore. So simply stated, we often try to put off contacting the parents. What would you say to our listeners along that line? Well, I think that's a natural human instinct. I mean, if you really take it to an extreme, if the teacher waits long enough, that child will move out of their class. So on a subconscious True, level, <laughs> we probably all go, well, if I wait long enough, but that's the actually the opposite way we should think about it. You know, we remind our teachers all the time, you have 180 days to affect this child. And a lot of children will be absent, you know, five, 10 times a year. So you really don't even have that 180 days. What can you do in that 180 days? And if you anticipate a problem is occurring, every day that you wait is a day that is missed for them to work on correcting it. And in the same way our teachers do want to solve problems, they have to understand so do the parents in general. But if it looks too big, it looks unsolvable because there's not enough time or maybe it's surmounted to so much, then they're going to be less active. So ours is pull the Band-Aid off as quick as you can schedule it. And again, that's where the virtual conferences come in too. Because if we really need to meet with the parents and within 48 hours, 72 hours, they can't meet, that's our go-to. Okay, can we do a virtual conference so that we can really get to the root of the problem very quickly, put a plan in place and help them to execute it so that they feel like there, there's you know a light at the end of the tunnel. I can do this. I can help my child. And I, I think overall, the most important thing we want to remind them is, I know sometimes parent-teacher conferences are rough. Not every parent is kind. Not every parent is on board. But the longer you wait, it will only make it worse. So if you think that parent's going to be an eight or nine, if you wait a week or two, they're going to be a nine or a 10. You'd rather have the eight or nine. So do it sooner than later. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. There really should be no surprises when it comes to that formal parent-teacher conference time. You know, often we have them after first quarter or whatever. 
And parents should walk in really probably being able to pretty accurately guess what's going to be discussed because there's already been that communication. And it's so important to remember, as you've mentioned a few times, we're on the same team. And that's not to say we won't have differences in how we approach things with a student or really even in how we see that student. Because often we see a student acting one way and they're different at home, you know, for better or for worse, either way. But we have to work together in a God-honoring way for the good of that student. Really, this is a topic we could spend multiple episodes on, and maybe we should at some point just keep going on this because this is something we can always be improving and always working on. But one that I think we should revisit, one of those topics before we wrap up today, is I'd love to know just if you have any other thoughts or insights generally that you could share with our listeners, just encourage them as they're interacting with parents. They're down in the weeds now. They have their classes. They're getting to know parents. What are some final thoughts you could send them away with? Sure. And I'll even relate it back to myself. As a head of school, a lot of times when I meet with parents, when it's not a parent-teacher conference, maybe it's a meeting in general, they've already gone through the teacher, an assistant principal, a principal, and they're to me. So by the time they get in my office, they're usually, <laughs> they're, they're pretty upset about something by the time I get a chance to meet with them. And I really let them talk. When we started out, we started out with prayer and we, we talk about what's our purpose for being in the meeting. And I'll let them talk. I want to let them get everything out. So we also try to train our teachers, don't interrupt a parent. Um, sometimes word vomit comes out and that's okay. Let them get it all out. Because if you let them get it all out, then you can actually get to what the issue is. But sometimes a parent just wants to be hurt. And I, I've noticed with teachers everywhere, this is not just where I am now, is a lot of time a teacher is only waiting on the parent to stop talking so that they can talk. And I remind them, that's not the thing that we're supposed to be doing. It's like, don't watch their lips just to watch their lips stop so you can start talking. Listen to what they're saying. Sometimes it might be unusual or strange, but you're going to pick up on things that will help. And just when a parent feels like they have been heard, they are more likely to want to hear what you have to say. So it may take a while. Uh, I've had some very long meetings before, but if I can let them get it all out, the success that comes after those meetings not only is better for the student, but I've also noticed that those parents are less likely to go and spew all those words to, to friends and other people in the community. So if I give them the opportunity to express themselves in there and get everything out, typically it stops at that point. So that's a benefit for the school, a benefit for the parent, teacher, and the child, everyone involved. Excellent. Thinking is so important, and that sounds profound, but we really do need to think and really connected with that thinking is the importance of listening. Just like you said, parents just want to be heard. They don't want to be listened to. They want to be heard. And we can improve that relationship and build so many bridges if we will just stop and listen. And I think about even there are certain stores um, where probably a lot of us all shop um, to get our groceries and other things, these super stores, and we go in there and something's not stocked or something's wrong. And we go say something. And I often have said something and then walked away and thought, they're not going to do anything about that. But we feel satisfied because they listen to us. Right? We said something, they listen, and away we go. And with parents just listening, and often I think we have a preconceived notion of what they're about to say as well. Like you said, you know, we're formulating our answer before we even hear it. And it's something totally different. And we could just work together a lot better if we actually <laughs> heard them out. So I don't know if you have any other comments on that. No, I agree completely. And I think you hit the nail on the head. And if we're all of that mindset, it's going to be better for everyone. Yes, definitely. We can't be a team and work together if we don't know what they're thinking. And we get that by listening. This has been so helpful. I just want to thank you for sharing specific advice. I know this resonates with me 
I'm confident with our listeners. I know this will just be a help to them, especially as we enter this time of the school year. Let's take a few minutes to jump into a listener question. And Jason, I hope you'd be willing to weigh in on this as well. So let's take a listen. Hey, this is Brad from Ohio. I'm thinking of trying student-led conferences this year. That seems to be a uh, hot topic at the moment. I'm wondering if anyone there has tried these. And if so, what's your advice? Go for it. uh, Hold off. Uh, make sure you really know what you're doing before you start, <laughs> whatever. Any help you could give would be really appreciated. Thanks. So I think it's probably good to start by just clarifying that student-led conferences are when students, parents, and teachers meet, and that's when students present an overview of their work and of their achievement. So they're sharing samples of their work and discussing their own weaknesses, strengths, and their progress. So it is very much student-led as the name Uh, tells us. So the teachers and parents listen, and then they're giving feedback. So just make sure all of our listeners are on the same page as far as where that question is coming from. This is obviously very popular right now um, in education. So Jason, any thoughts or experiences with that? Sure. You know, a lot of this has to do with the age of the student, uh, grade level, content area, and honestly, the, the aptitude and willingness of the student to be involved in their own education process. So when we look at something like this, if we have higher level students at the high school, you know, maybe they're, they're AP, dual enrollment, you know, honors class. This is a, a beneficial part for not only their growth, because they have to have an introspective look at where they're going and where their progress is headed. And that's good for them because, you know, when they get to college, it's a completely different process with the interaction with their professors and maybe a dean or a department chair. So these are great for building their confidence and helping them understand the role that they play in their own education process. Now, obviously, as you get down to the younger levels, we try to prep them for something like this just by bringing them in. And again, we we don't attack the children, even when there's a problem. Then we try to really train our teachers to, again, compliment sandwich, say something great. Here's what we need to work on. We're going to work together and close it out with something great so that the student has some feedback. They get to have input. They're a part of the process, even at a very, very young age, because we don't want to talk about people. We want to talk to people. And as we talk to them, they listen here and they get feedback. And we progress this as they get, you know, higher in elementary and middle school to where they play more active roles. Even, you know, talking about an assessment they may have, where did you struggle? And let's talk about this. So we want their feedback. And then as they get into high school, we want them to come in and tell us, hey, you know, what are you looking to gain out of this class? And sometimes their their answers are super honest. You know, I don't want to take this class or I don't like it or I don't like this, you know, but that's okay because those are areas that we can start to target and have conversations about and explain to them okay, even if you don't like something, it's necessary for growth, it's necessary for graduation. And we make them advocates for themselves by the time, you know, they're closer to that senior level so that when they do, whether they go in the military, whether they go to college or right to a job, they're able to effectively communicate with someone who is in a leadership position. They're able to go through maybe in a job, an evaluation process, which most jobs now require some type of 360 where you have to do a self-reflection and they don't want you just to, you know, say what's good about you. They want honest feedback on where you need to grow. So if we can start to help them understand, even at the high school level, everybody needs to grow. No one's perfect. Tell us where you need to grow. Tell us what you're good at. Tell us where you find struggles. And let's have honest conversations about potential. When they leave and go out into the workforce or to college, they're a lot more willing to hear feedback from their boss. And they truly understand how the process of growth works and the speed at which potential can be achieved. So these are interesting if they're done right. 
but they could definitely go sideways if you're not prepared for how to set the boundaries ahead of time. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And my initial thought was, just like you said, student-led conferences are so situation-specific. And in some situations, again, I feel like this could be helpful. Definitely not a fit for others, as you mentioned. And as in anything, it's so wise to evaluate why you're wanting to use that model. Is it because it's popular or because there's a need or because it's best for your students and families? And there's a number of benefits. You mentioned some of those. They really challenge students to take ownership and to think through their own education and skills are developed when students learn to analyze their work, their strengths, their weaknesses, and then even to communicate those. That's hard sometimes for adults, many times for adults. So those are great skills to develop. Some of the thinking behind the student-led model is to help students develop responsibility and accountability. And of course, I think we would agree that those are not negative character traits. I mean, those are things we want them to develop. The model does take time. And something I was thinking through as I was thinking about that question, it takes thought and training really for our teachers and our students. And students, parents, and teachers all have to learn their role and then prepare for it. Of course, this model assumes that parents are going to be involved because if they're not present and active, it it kind of crashes. And that means they're preparing their own questions and their encouragement, you know, teaching them to encourage their child and that reinforcement as well of how they can help their student move to the next goal. And for teachers, they work with those students to prepare for the conference and then they're leading the way with the goals and the action plans. So there is a lot of you know work there. And this takes time away from those just parent, just teacher times. But the intent is that open communication to include the student. For the younger students, just like you said, I was thinking also, I believe it could be done to some extent. It's good to get them thinking and sharing that. But the support structure would obviously need to be really very present. And honestly, I believe there are times when teachers and students need to talk. And there are times when teachers and parents just need to talk, especially those young ages as they guide the student. So while this model may be more successful with the older students, like you mentioned, you know, and of course, they have more advanced metacognition skills where they can navigate some of that better. We, yeah, I would just encourage Brad and others who are thinking about this model to find that careful balance as, you know, at a school, you need to be solid on where you are with the teacher being the key. There's this, uh, you know, there's this ongoing debate with student-led classrooms, student-led learning, all the student-led models. And so it's just, I would encourage everyone to find a careful balance and find where you are as a school. And there is a heavy focus sometimes with this model on self-reflection and advocating for what I as a student need. And that's good. That, there's some really good things to that. But again, the balance is needed there. Setting goals is a great positive part of this model. It's easy to have a parent-teacher conference and then leave off the action items. And the student-led model, there are action items for everyone. And I love how you brought that up earlier in the podcast. You talked a lot about they, everyone needs to walk out with a to-do list so that we can all help the student. I thought that was great. So I guess I'm back to my initial statement of just making sure you're doing it because it's best for the students, not because it's what's on all the blogs and in the journals right now. And of course, keeping that balance uh, carefully in your sites. Did you have any other follow-up comments on that, Jason? I think whichever way you go, whether it's virtual, whether it's on-premise, whether it's student-led, we're constantly trying to remind our parents and kids, us included, we're a continual work. God's always working on us. We're continually growing, being discipled in you know, the, the walk with Christ is never done, right? 
and neither is your education. No one knows everything. No one's perfect. There's always growth. We're lifetime learners, lifelong learners. And so if we can just understand that coming in, that we're all trying to walk this road together and grow in Christ and grow educationally, I, I think we walk out of the room again as a team and hopefully we're bettering these kids so that when God calls them somewhere, they're going to be excellent in whatever field he calls them in. Great insight. And that was a great question. So I appreciate that. It's really important to look critically at these trends and the practices that are around us. And it was great to talk through that question today. Jason, thank you so much for your input today and for all you shared. Those specifics are so helpful. We appreciate your time. No, I appreciate being here. Thank you so much. And I look forward to more great questions in the future. So keep those questions coming. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you were challenged and encouraged as I was. Remember to go to teacheredishonpodcast.com to submit questions for upcoming episodes. Of course, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media. Now it's time to get back to your day. But it's not just any day. Every day in the classroom is your day to impact and inspire through God's power and His grace working in you. So go do what God has called you to do. 